Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. I have a real pleasure to uh, have read, and we'll be talking to the author of Continuing La Causa, Organizing Labor in California's Strawberry Fields. Gilbert, how are you doing right now? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, I think it's a, just a very interesting um, uh, synthesis and, and crossing the political science and soci- sociology literature. Before we talk about the book, I wonder if you can talk just a little bit about yourself, uh, what your background is, where you are now, and where this fits into your research. Sure. Well, I am currently an associate professor of sociology at Whitman College, which is in Walla Walla, Washington. Um, This book is the outcome of work I did for my doctoral thesis, um, and I'm, as the title suggests, looking at organized labor in California's uh, strawberry fields. I myself grew up in central California, uh, second-generation Mexican-American. Parents did farm work for some time, as did I, during summer. So this is something that was fairly um, close to, uh, to to my background and, and experience. And it just happened that the UFW, the United Farm Workers of America, was starting to organize uh, a fairly major campaign um, for them in in the late 90s, just as I was uh, shopping around, so to speak, for a uh, doctoral thesis project. So this kind of uh, worked very well for me. Yeah, and, and your your uh, familiarity comes out through your writing. It's a very um, it's not a, a personal subject, but but the way you write about it is it shows how close that you got. Um, and and to that point, you begin the book by describing what you confronted in the summer of 2000. Um, would, you, would you take us back to what you observed upon arriving in California and, and how it defied some of your expectations uh, of social movement scholarship? Yeah, well, you know, I found this to be a, a very interesting case that um, had a, a seeming puzzle at its at its very center. Uh, I approached this from a conventional social movements perspective where we look at uh, a variety of resources available to organizations. Um, So not only material resources, but human resources, um, things like their connections to um, powerful allies, whether they be political allies, economic allies. And in that sense, the UFW is actually a a fairly formidable, um, well-organized organization. And I, I had thought that they would that I that they would would have been able to um, quickly um, win their campaign in the strawberry fields, and that was just not the case. Now, as I write in the book, there is no such thing as an easy organizing campaign, but if ever an organization was in a very good position to do so, it would have been the UFW. But what in fact ended up happening was a group of workers within the company that the UFW was trying to organize um, emerged in opposition to the union and actually beat the union um, at their own game, so to speak. They uh, beat the UFW in three um, 
Agricultural Labor Relations Board sponsored uh, union elections. And so that was a significant blow to the UFW. It's important to note that the UFW was able to eventually win a contract at the Coastal Berry Company, um, but it was not because it won the hearts and minds of the workers, but rather because it was it had a more sophisticated and capable legal team that was able to work within the Agricultural Labor Relations Act to finally cement victory. Let's go back before they win. They lose, as, as you just say. They do. Um, and and Mar- uh, much of what your book is, is talks about is, is sort of the, the ineffectiveness of some of their early strategies um, and also some other organizations. So specifically, specifically, what did groups like the UFW and NAACP get wrong about organizing strawberry farmers in California? Um, what did they do that conflicted with some of the expectations of the farmers and the expectations they had about uh, organizing and about interacting with outside organizations. Right. So I think that, that the uh, UFW, in very close uh, consultation with the AFL-CIO, uh, took an approach that's been referred to in the literature as a corporate campaign. Now, this is a, an approach where you try to find the, the Achilles heel um, of the organization or the industry. So you do a lot of very uh, sophisticated background research um, look at financial filings, look at investors, uh, these sorts of things. And corporate campaigns had been uh, effectively used in conjunction with grassroots uh, components in the 1980s. There are several well-known cases in the literature of, of uh, unions organizing drywall workers um, and, and other immigrant workers you, uh, by attacking the uh, employers as, as organizations. And I think that this lends itself to a very top-down uh, top down approach, and this is exemplified by the UFW's ability to get this particular company, the Coastal Berry Company, sold to pro-union investors. Initially, this company was a subsidiary of, Mons- of the Monsanto Corporation, uh, with uh, some some pressure from the UFW and its political and economic allies, Monsanto sold the company to two pro-union investors um, who who ran union pension funds but had no experience in the uh, California agriculture industry. This is just one way that uh, unions incorporate these corporate campaigns uh, to try to pressure reluctant employers to um, go along with unionization. Would you tell, tell us a little bit more about the methods you used? Um, did you do interviews pri- primarily, or was there participant observations? How, how did you study this case? Yeah, so this was, I, I employed um, a variety of methods. A great, uh, I did uh, interview a uh, dozens and dozens of people, both mostly farm workers, but also uh, farm owners, managers, supervisors, um, you know, long-time observers of the, of the local strawberry industry. This case um, turned out to be fairly litigious, particularly in its latter stages, and this proved immensely helpful from a research perspective because it was a great volume of information available to me in legal documents surrounding the case, so I was able to get a lot of really uh, rich documentation from, a lot of really rich data, excuse me, from those publicly available records. Uh, in addition, um, I uh, reviewed um, 
documents submitted by by labor unions to the U.S. Department of Labor, um, as well as industry publications and journals and things of this sort. So um, I, I employed a wide variety of of uh, methods, both uh, documentary as well as interviews and, and, and limited participant observation. By the point I arrived in the Central Coast, uh, most of the um, um, back and forth between the UFW and, and the Workers' Committee had come to an end, although I did arrive during a period where the Comité, the uh, Workers' Committee, was struggling to formalize and become a, a, a legitimate organization. So I got to witness some of that by attending their meetings and interviewing some of their officers. One of the people you interviewed was named Enrique Leal. I wonder if you can talk just briefly about uh, who this is. Um, ro- ro- what role he played, and, and maybe some of the things that you learned from someone like Enrique Leal or, or some of the others that, that you interviewed. He is actually a very, very interesting uh, individual. I, I, um, in the book, I included a passage of a time when he picked me up in his um, you know, very beat-up, rusty Geo Metro that, um, where the passenger side door could not open, and he had jimmied a uh, contraption where he would pull on a rope to disengage the locking mechanism and then had me, you know, get in the car and inside there's documents and unopened letters strewn about. Um, he was a worker at the Coastal Berry Company that emerged as uh, one of the leaders of the organization primarily because of his ability to speak English. Um, he was probably not the most capable leader, but his English-speaking abilities um, allowed him to be a spokesperson where monolingual Spanish speakers were unable to um, engage the press uh, and, and other people, other English speakers, whether they be state officials um, or company officials. Um, and he was actually a relative. He was the brother of a supervisor at the company, and so this opened itself up to attacks from the UFW claiming that this was a company organization, that it was in actuality supervisors that were behind the group. And as I state in the book, while there may have been a limited amount of truth to that, it's not completely accurate to say that this was exclusively um, a, a, uh, a project of, of supervisors or, or the um, company hierarchy. I think things are more complicated than that. So, so what did the Comité do, do right? What did, what did they do to consistently beat the UFW? Not not in the long term, but but in that that short term. What did they? You, you referred in some ways to the sort of the technocratic approach that the UFW used that that sort of fell on tin ears. You know, um, I think it's a part of it is what the Comité did right, but. I would imagine that a larger part of it is what the UFW did wrong. And so I think that the Comité was tapped into the local uh, family and and, and kin-like networks that permeated the workforce. Um, And I think that the UFW never really paid attention to those networks um, and wasn't able to penetrate and break the bonds, the very... Um, strong bonds among the the labor force at the um, at the company, so it was much easier for um, 
the rank and file, uh, the, the average worker at the company to side with someone with whom they were familiar rather than to trust uh, an outside organizer coming on behalf of, of the UFW. Um, and I think at least in the, in the initial phases of a campaign, the first few years, I just don't think the UFW did a very good job of effectively engaging the average worker in the fields, whereas the Comité was much better at um, circling the wagon, so to speak, and solidifying their narrative of the events that were taking place. Yeah, the, the authenticity seems to matter a lot, uh, Was seemed to be lacking in the UFW. So what do you take away from this project for future labor organizing, either in, in California or elsewhere, in agricultural field or, or in other fields? What are, what are some of the takeaways? Right. Um, I think that, you know, I, I'm not trying to dismiss the effectiveness of corporate campaigns. I think corporate campaigns can be and have been extremely effective, but they're not but, but they're not a substitute for the grunt work that is required in the grassroots dimension of, of organizing. You have to have effective organizers in the fields, in the work site, um, building those bonds of trust with individual workers. And you also have to listen to your organizers. There were a lot of very good, very effective organizers working for the UFW during the campaign. But the UFW hierarchy never really listened very much to what they had to say and instead chose to focus on that top-down uh, approach that was effective in some areas, but ultimately it's the workers who decide. And UFW never really engaged the workers uh, to the extent that they should have, realizing only late in the game that you have to win the hearts and minds of the workers if anything's going to change. So I would say you have to have both. Yes, there is uh, a need for a corporate campaign, but you also have to have a very strong uh, grassroots organizing element in your organizing campaign. Yeah, there's it's an awful lot to learn, not just about this specific case, but but about organizing um, about organizing these these types of workers. I, I enjoyed the book a lot. What do we have to look forward to from you? What's what's the next book or next book project or what's what's on your agenda? Right. So I, I I've switched gears a little bit. I'm actually now looking at the uh, Latino middle class in majority minority communities and looking at a community in California and a community here in Washington State, Pasco, Washington, which is in the eastern part of the state, and Watsonville, California, which is actually where the uh, this campaign took place, and I'm looking at the role of middle-class professionals and small business owners in the civic affairs and um, political activities of these communities and seeing what happens as these two groups, sometimes in conjunction and sometimes clashing, um, work in, in their communities as these communities become majority minority. So that's in its initial stages, but uh, so far I've, I've learned some interesting things and I'm looking forward to moving um, this project along. Yeah, I hope you come back with, with that book project whenever it's done. Uh, until then, we have your, your current book, the book that is just out from Lynn Reiner, Continuing La Causa, Organizing Labor in California's Strawberry Fields. 
Gilbert, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much, Heath. It was a pleasure being on.